Oh, I want to thank you all for tuning into the 546th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening. I thank you for making me in this show part of your day, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Everett, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via. Gonna have a great show for all you guys today. Gonna have Nathan Swaffer on. Rights for Kansas 247 Sports. We're going to break down and recap what happened for the Final Four in the National Championship game as the madness is over in college basketball. And before we get to all of that, I'm going to give my shameless plug as always, first time listener, but thank you. And subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast to your friends and family, whether it be via Route Threads, Facebook groups, et cetera, et cetera. Check on the description below, specifically use Spotify. I have everything timestamped. You can click on the timestamp and we'll send you to whatever part of the podcast you'd most like to listen to, folks. It is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at Nitrant underscore Lane. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Step in Daryl Lane. You will find it. I post two to five minute clips of this podcast right here. It's also nice to show outside the shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. And for some odd reason, right? I want the pod then. Front now, we're not, folks. But just don't say anything. Because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And cut up next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Nathan on the show. Cut him next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, we have Nathan Swaffer with us. He writes for Kansas 247 Sports. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. It's a bit of a disappointment that now the college basketball season's over, though. I know the madness ended it, as you told me uh, off air. Wasn't really that maddening at the end. Uh, pretty basic, cut and dry and simple. So, let's start with this. Let's start with the Final Four. So, we were texting a little bit, Final Four Saturday, um... About UConn, before we get to UConn, actually, well, let's go to the uh, FAU San Diego State game. Walk off shot, San Diego State wins. Was that the best game of the tournament for you? Um, I don't know. I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest. I only got to watch the tail end of that game because I was covering KU women's basketball winning the WNIT. Shout out to them. But I remember. When everybody was in the press room, we were held around the TV watching the end of that game. And when that last shot went in, I mean, it was chaos. Um, and then I, I went back after and watched a little bit more of the game. It was an absolutely fantastic game. I mean, you had two teams who had nothing to lose at that rate. Two teams, first time in the Final Four. And we got the most out of both of them. I mean, I think I said it multiple times, I didn't trust a FAU. At the beginning of the tournament, and boy, did they prove me wrong. They were right there at the end of that game, had a chance to win it. Obviously, San Diego State makes the bigger play in the end, but no, it was an absolute fantastic matchup, and it got a very fitting ending, in my opinion. And I'll be honest, I didn't even think the shot was going to get up at the end there. I mean, it was just like I was not sure that he was actually going to get a shot at, but. Man, if he didn't, then he made the most of it. FAU, man. What a hell of a run for them. Uh, aren't they returning most of their starters and most of their guys? Like, don't they have a lot of guys who aren't even seniors yet on that team? Yeah, but I think they're going to return a lot of their production, probably between 80 and 90% at least. 
other production finisher. I mean, you, you shouldn't look too much into the way too early top twenty-five stuff for next year. But there is a there's a pattern there with FIU. They're consistently you know top ten, top fifteen. I mean, obviously these 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 days I tend to take that kind of stuff with a grain of salt because the last few years we've seen that from teams that have made runs like that with a UCLA or just this year in North Carolina. Now, the one difference that I see with FAU is that they were consistent all year for the most part. They weren't. They got tight at the right time and barely made the tournament. No, they were pretty consistent for most of the year, so I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with next season. Yeah, they're going to start out as the top five team in the country next year, I have to imagine, right? Yeah, I mean, top five, at least top ten, top fifteen, at the very least. Yeah, depending on their schedule. I mean, that could be a team that's in a contention for a number one seed. I mean, I think FAU's really has made their bones as a team to watch. So, on the San Diego State's aspect. And it was really cool. Is this one of the first times I ever feel like we've had two mid-majors playing each other in a Final Four game? I think I think we talked about that last time. And I think we agreed that it was. Like, at least one of the first times that I can remember... In recent memory, I and mean, it just feels like all the time you get those power five schools or the blue bloods. I mean, I don't think we really had a mid major final four matchup, and I can't even think the last time it would have happened. So it, it's a nice break, actually, in my opinion. You know, last year you get the blue blood final four with Duke, North Carolina, and KU, and Villanova, and then this year you kind of get it. You get three teams making the final four for the first time. Plus UConn and two of those being mid-majors, so it was a pretty nice thing to see. You know, some of those smaller teams that we know are good kind of get their shot to make it as far as they did. And obviously, with San Diego State, they had a chance to play for national championship, didn't work out so well. But nonetheless, seeing some of those mid-major schools make it as far is kind of a nice thing to see compared to the usual Power Five schools. So let's go to UConn shellaxing Miami. We were texting uh, during that game, and I'm just watching this game, and I'm like, there's no way. Like, every shot they get is so easy, and the shots that aren't easy, off the dribble, one-on-one, in isolation, they, they just knock them down every single time. And it's like, Miami can get nothing. It's such a struggle for them. It's just like, yeah. you got just so much better. Like, what were you thinking as this game was going on? I didn't even know what to think, because Miami was an incredibly talented team. And there's a reason they made it as far as they did. And I at least expected this to be somewhat close. And there were a few times where it looked like Miami might come back. I think they got have single digits once or twice there in the last 10 minutes in the second half. And then you can't just steamrolls them. The rest of the time, and it's just been in the Final Four. And to say the least, that was foreshadowing what would happen in the National Championship as well. At what point during the game were you just like, there's no way the Miami has a chance? Well, when they came back, and I think they got it down to... I can't remember what they got it down to. But they got it down in like that 9 to 12 point range. and It seemed, it seemed like they could come back with it, and then UConn just fires off a quick, I think it was like a 6 or 8-0 run within just a few minutes, and you're like, what do you even do with that, right? Because Miami had all the momentum. 
They had just everything going for them at that point in the game, and then UConn just completely shut it down. And that was kind of when I was just like, yep, this game's over. And we would see the same thing in the national championship as well. So then we get to the national championship, and it was really more of the same for UConn. And this kind of gets in the discussion of, you know, where this UConn team ranks out of some of the last champions we've seen out of the last four or five years. Because, I mean, UConn discarded San Diego State with relative ease. I mean, they had double-digit lead by halftime. San Diego State, they brought it to five, right, second half. But then they just made another run. And it's like every time they need another run. It's very similar how dominant uh, Villanova was a few years ago. You remember that Villanova team that they blew out Kansas? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> Sorry to bring um, up the bad memories. Yeah, I've watched I mean, that was just, that Nova team was so amazing. I mean, the thing that I can't ever get over is that in their lead eight matchup against West Virginia, they did not hit a single three and then proceeded to set a Final Four record for most made threes in the next game against KU. So, I mean, UConn's right up there with that Nova team kind of in the past five, ten years of just one of the most dominant tournament runs we've ever seen. And the thing that we have to realize is that UConn did not have an easy path. They played some unbelievably good teams and they just like pushed them to the side like they were like they were like non-power five mid-major maybe not even mid-major schools just yep, get out of the way we're going to go go get a national championship I mean you can't give enough credit to how well coached this team is Dan Hurley was just unreal I mean we got to start talking about him and that upper echelon of head coaches now because of what he was able to do this season, what he was able to accomplish with this team. And I think UConn has really vaulted themselves firmly into that blue blood discussion as well. And, you know, you could probably even make the argument they are a blue blood at this rate as well. But this this specific UConn team, I mean, this tournament run will go down in history as one of the most dominant runs we have ever seen. And what's crazy about this is they weren't some outstanding regular season team. So I, I want to do this. Let's do a little guessing game. How many losses do you think UConn had this year? Oh, I feel like they had eight. Yes, eight. They were six and five on the road as well. And they just proceeded to absolutely destroy the field. That's like night and day. And it shows, like, they were kind of deserving of a four seed, right? I mean, maybe a little bit higher. You could have argued a little bit higher, maybe a little bit lower. But, I mean, they didn't deserve a one seed going into this. Yet they were the best team by far. Yeah, I mean, it's, were they underseeded? They probably at least had one. Yeah, they probably should have been a three seed. But the tournament all comes down to who's playing the best right now. He's got the most motivation to win right now. And UConn did that as well as any national champion we've seen in a long time. They played their best basketball during the tournament, which is something we don't even usually see from national champions. From national champions. I mean, last year with KU, 
there were some ugly moments during that run for them where they did not look like a national championship team. And then you had some where they really did. But what UConn did this year, they were on 100% of the time, which is something I feel like we've almost never seen one tournament teams. What they did is unprecedented. Um, I think their average margin of victory um, compared to other teams from, like, I think it was since 2010 or something, it's right up there with, like, um, it, it, it's like, I think they're second or third in terms of actual margins. So, I mean, it's, it, it's just unprecedented what they were able to do during this run. This UConn team had a stretch during the year where they lost four or six games. <laughs> that just amazes me that actually happened. That there was a stretch where that team that we saw lost four of six games in a stretch. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, we knew UConn was a good team. Don't get me wrong. We knew they were. You had, did they have inconsistencies this season? Absolutely. But, I mean, it, it just comes down to who plays the best ball at, in March. And they showed what they really were. And we saw that at times this season. Don't get me wrong, UConn had some really strong wins this season where they did look like they could even go and be a number one seed, at the very least maybe number two. Because I think they were, they got in the top five a few times this season, if I remember right, um, especially early in the season as well, where they were in the conversation with that upper echelon of teams like Houston, like KU, um, like Purdue, like Alabama. They were there at points during the season, but they were never consistent enough to say, absolutely, they are, They need to be one of the top ten seats in the tournament. They didn't show that. But if you're playing your best ball in March, you have a chance to go far, and UConn is the epitome of if you play your best in March, you have a great shot to win a national championship. And in the case of UConn, if you're playing your best ball, you destroy everybody on your way to the championship. So I'm going to give you this. So the last four men's basketball champs, UConn, Kansas, Baylor, Virginia. What all four of those teams have in common is none of them were number one in the AP during the regular season. Mm-hmm. I saw that. It's it's kind of interesting to think about that with especially with some of those teams. Like Kenny last year, I can't believe they weren't ever ranked number one. Obviously they had some inconsistencies, but <coughs> excuse me. Um, Baylor was kind of the same way. I mean but the problem with Baylor is that they always had Gonzaga in front of them the entire season and they went undefeated until they got beat. And then they destroyed Gonzaga, if everybody remembers. They they <laughs> Obliterated Gonzaga. Yeah, it's one of the most lopsided national championships we've seen in a while. Um, obviously, now we have a new one, seemingly. Um, or they're at least kind of on the same level. But Virginia, kind of the same way as well. I mean, Virginia never really... I mean, they looked the part, don't get me wrong, but they got hot at the right time. So, you look at some of these past years, especially, and it's kind of like... It's unusual to see, like, how did they 
how are they never ranked number one now? With the AP poll, that's only so trustworthy at this rate. It doesn't matter where you're ranked in the AP poll during the season. It matters where you are at the end of the season. And I think UConn kind of epitomized that this year. And who cares where we're ranked in the AP poll? We're number one now because we've just won the national Do you think why do you this is another question I have for you. Why do you think it's so hard for teams to repeat? Oh, I mean, here's kind of what you look at. Especially now that we're in the transfer portal era. It is difficult to keep teams together. I mean, you look at KU from last year to this year, they lost almost all their starters and they lost about 70 or 80% of their scoring production. I mean, the only two guys that came back that were really impactful for, were Jalen Wilson and DeJuan Harris. They lost Christian Brown, Ochai Baja, Gabe McCormick, Ray Martin. They lost all those guys. And I think that kind of signifies why it is so difficult to repeat these days. It's because in the, day, in the age of the transfer portal, you're, you might have a whole new team the next year. We'll see what happens with UConn and whether they can keep that core together for the most part. But it's so difficult to keep teams together. I mean, there's a reason the last national repeat champion in Florida, they returned nearly all of their scoring production from the previous year. And that is just so difficult to do these days because of one and done, because of the transfer portal. Because of all these other circumstances, it's so difficult to keep a core together for an extended amount of time to be able to repeat. And, you know, teams like to say there's not pressure to repeat. There's, there is some. There's, it's never not there. And when you get into some of those bigger matchups in March, that really starts to surface a little bit. As much as teams, coaches, players don't want to admit that, it is there in some sense. And I think that weighs a little bit on it as well. But I think it, it boils down to the core aspect that teams have a lot of trouble keeping that core intact from year to year because of all the circumstances that we see in modern-day college basketball. Yeah, and players going to the draft. I mean, that's something else that they have to fight against as well, I guess, to some extent. But the transfer portal is definitely a big one. Now you have to re-recruit your old team every single year. Who do you think... What were you going to say? I was just I was going to agree with you. I mean, you are essentially having to recruit your own guys again with the transfer portal and the NBA drafts. I mean, it's a difficult process, and it's something for coaches that I'm sure has become an incredibly difficult situation to keep those guys, especially, you know, you throw in NIL as well, along with the transfer portal, it's like, I just won a national championship, and this school has offered me some deals that are going to make me more money there than here, why would I stay? You know, what's your pitch? You essentially have to re-recruit me again. So it's it's interesting, um, and I just, I'm not sure we will see a repeat champion in the next decade. How do you think Bill Self goes about re-recruiting his guys? Um, well, this year he didn't really. Which <laughs> um, uh, isn't a bad thing. I think for KU, they kind of needed a facelift. They needed some fresh faces. Um, 
And obviously, with some of those guys, it's difficult to re-recruit. I mean, the good thing with KU is that they, they're they kind of ahead of the curve when it comes to NIL especially. They have their own collective. You know, each player at least gets some share with some stuff. And overall, Bill Self does a good job of just recruiting in the first place. But obviously, this year, that wasn't really the case. But at the same time, I think he was kind of looking for that. Some of those guys needed a new a new place to go. You know, a Zach Clements, a Bobby Pettiford, a Jerry Escrew. Some of those guys, they really needed a new opportunity. So, um, who do you think has the most national championships in college basketball history? Well, it's UCLA. Um, and then I think after that... I think it's Kentucky. Correct. And then, uh, I think it's North Carolina. Okay. Then it's then I think there's a tie next because then I think it's Duke and UConn now. And Indiana. Five and Indiana. That's right. Can't forget those Bob Knight teams. Um, and then it's KU with four. Uh, I think there is there something else with four? Nope. Nope. Okay, it's just KU after that, and then you kind of got some other teams. You've got Louisville. Um, you've got Nova. Uh, yeah, Nova. Um, I can't remember who else has three. I feel like there's one or two other teams. No, there's just two. And then there's like seven who have two, and then yeah, like twenty who have one. Yeah, there's a bunch of schools on that too. So it's it's interesting when you look at that list, in all honesty, because everybody knows the Kentuckys, the Dukes, the KUs, the North Carolinas, and then you look at that number and you're like, UCLA has like five or six more than everybody else. Um, John Wooden. They won. They won those national championships in a different era. Yeah. Of the tournament. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Walton, John Wooden. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Lou Alcindor, actually, back in those days. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you can't overlook that fact by any means. Those were unbelievably good UCLA teams. But if they were playing in the modern era of the tournament, they probably wouldn't even win half of those. Let's just be honest. That being said, you have to respect UCLA has that many titles for a reason. Kentucky, North Carolina. They've won some more modern titles. I I would really like to see UCLA reaffirm. They are a group club. Don't get me wrong. But we've kind of started to see their resume drop off a little bit because I think their last na- national championship was 1998 or something like that. Um, but, you know, they're, they're right there. They're blue blood. But I, I think they really need to get a modern to really superly cement, superly cement word, but to cement that legacy along with the KUs, the Kentuckys, the North Carolinas, the Dukes, that have all won national championships in the last decade. And the Yukons, don't forget the Yukons. Yeah, no, and that's why I ask you this to go to Yukon. Yukon has as many national titles as Duke. I would never have thought that before I looked at this. It, 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 it's quite the number. 
And, and since like the '90s, right? Duke would probably be considered the gold standard of blue bloods, right? Since the '90s, I would say so. Yeah, and UConn has just as many as they do. It's, it's an unbelievable figure. And I think that just shows how much UConn has probably been overlooked lately. I mean, they got three national championships in the last 15 years now. That's that's unprecedented. So, I mean, it's... It, it, they've gotten overlooked as a blue blood, and I think they should be in that, that conversation now. Now, looking at the Dukes and the UConns, have they had that sustained... Um, Regular season success, no. I think you you can argue the only team that has just had an unbelievable, unprecedented run of regular season success is KU. You have you know you have guys like North Carolina and Duke who have kind of been there back and forth, but I mean KU has won so many regular season championships in the last twenty three years. It's unbelievable. And they won the Big like, 12 like 15 straight years in a row or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Longest streak ever. I think it was 14 or 15. It's right in that range. And, you know, they won another one this year. They won one last year. They won it in 2020. So they've also won three out of the last four now. And so it's just regular season success, KU is the standard. But now you look at tournament success, you have to look at UConn. You have to look at Duke, North Carolina, and say they have been the recipe for success in the tournament over the last few decades, for sure. UConn, and it makes it even more interesting for me, right? When you look at the three coaches, right? So Kevin Ollie, Dan Hurley, and Jim Calhoun. Obviously, Kevin Ollie's tenure in UConn ended unceremoniously. Uh, but is Dan Hurley on the verge of really building something special here? Uh, he could be. I mean, I'll be honest, I kind of overlooked Dan Hurley proceeding this season, but to see what he's been able to do with that group, he's, he's pretty much fermented himself. He's essentially placed himself in that conversation for who are the best coaches in college basketball. You know, you look at the Bill Selfs, the John Calipari's, um, you know, other guys like maybe a Kelvin Sampson as well, um, Tom Izzo. And at this rate, Dan Hurley, I think, has kind of cemented himself on that pedestal as well. I mean, it's right now you look at probably who the best college basketball coach is. It's probably Bill Self. I think it's kind of hard to argue with that. As of this moment, especially, you know, with our Coach K retiring, Jay Wright, Roy retired a few years ago now, and I think Bill has kind of put himself on the top of that pedestal, but Dan Hurley's probably not far behind at this rate, at least with recency bias. You have to look at that, but if he can really start to sustain this success at UConn over the next two, three, four, five years, he's going to be right there. He's going to be right there in that conversation. How much do you think the fact that UConn gets underrated is the fact that obviously on the women's side, they're probably like the greatest women's basketball program ever with, you know, your RM and what they do over there. Do you feel like that kind of overshadows the men's team a little bit? Uh, for the past decade, yeah, absolutely. 
mean, you look at what UConn has done in women's basketball over the past decade. I mean, they've won, I think, maybe two or three undefeated seasons. I think they won like two or three straight national championships. I mean, right in my opinion, rightfully so, they have been, they've gotten more attention than the men's team because as successful as UConn men's basketball has been over the past decade or so, they haven't really been able to sustain some of that success consistently. Unlike the the women's team, which, I mean, I think they're, I think there was that period where they won a hundred straight games or something like that over a two or three year period. I mean, that's ridiculous. There's a reason that they were getting more attention than the men's team, and rightfully so. But you know, you bring that kind of brings up a point. When you look at the best combined college basketball programs in history between men's and women's. UConn is above everybody else. It's not even close at this rate. The success that they've had in both areas is unreal. And, you know, you kind of think about, well, what team even gets close to it? I mean, it's tough to even think of another team that really gets up there and is in that conversation. You know, in terms of combined men's and women's basketball programs, UConn is so Nathan, I don't think you've gone on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It kind of sucks that basketball's over, but it'll be back before you know it. And once again, I don't think Nathan for going on the show. I really appreciate it. I don't think all of you for tuning into this episode. The 546th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. She said she's too young.